Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your series-by-series series check-in for Cubs news, notes, and banter. As always, you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs at Bleed Cubby Blue. Hi, guys. I'm Andy Cruz Vanasek, and I'm back. I got that voice back. I'm so excited to hear your voice back. You sound awesome. <laughs> you might be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt that. I'm sure most of the people in your life are super thrilled that you have your voice back. Yeah, we're just going to act like you're right. <laughs> um, so it is our 13th official episode for our series by series breakdowns. And 13 is not a particularly lucky number. And this series was not particularly lucky for the Cubs. What on earth happened at Coors Field? Coors Field happened at Coors Field. Yeah. Tell me more. Oh, gosh. Do I need to? Jeez Louise. Well, of course, the one name that I said to look out for, why do I don't like being right about these things, is Charlie Blackman. Ugh. Man, he was he was tough this series other than game three. I mean, he was a lot of offense and not an easy out. And the aforementioned that we also don't like to bring up, Daniel Murphy, was also a tough out. Um their offense was clicking and ours wasn't the first two games. You know, um, you kind of felt like game one was a winnable game until our pitching kept uh, proving otherwise. So I guess, you know, we can start talking about game one, but game one and two, I feel like uh, pretty much on the let's go ahead and forget about them list. Yeah, totally. I mean, the Cubs were lucky that Charlie Blackman wasn't playing when they played the Rockies at Wrigley and he really just looked out, Sandy. I, I will say, you mentioned the pitching. I mean, obviously, we don't want Darvish to give up four runs in an inning. That's not great. But he's not bad. And the outing that he had at Coors was not a bad outing by the standard of Coors Field. You know what I mean? He had one bad inning where he gave up a couple of hits that happened to be home runs and managed to give up a four spot in an inning, which clearly would like that to be avoided. But that's a thing that happens to Cy Young candidates at Coors Field. I mean, on the regular, on the regular, but you know, I mean, like pretty much has been the, the, the feeling for Darvish since he's been signed and, you know, he had the first season he had, people are so quick to jump on him about everything. So of course, giving up one inning of four run ball, you know, of course is not gonna, gonna feel good for them. And, you know, it's just amazing to me how quick everyone is to jump ship on him. I'm not... I'm not rattled at all by that performance. Other than that inning, he was actually pretty decent. So, um, you know, and again, it's core strikes back. And it's, it's just one of those things that you have to just kind of, you know, know that it's coming or it's going to happen or something along those lines. You are playing with fire when you hit a batter and walk a batter. You know, that that's, that's going to come back to bite you. Um, so those things are controllable, but, you know, obviously the amount of offense in that park is is something that's always been there, no matter who the pitcher is. Yeah, totally. And I just I just need to say, because I, I felt like Twitter and the Facebook groups that both of us are part of were, were just really on, like, on you, Darvish. It was like, oh, Darvish is the worst, this is terrible, et cetera. And I just didn't, I didn't see that particular outing as being demonstrative of, like, 
anything other than you Darvish got to Coors Field and gave up some long hits. I mean, he, it wasn't his best outing. No, he wasn't striking out the land like we know he is capable of, but he went six innings and he only gave up six hits. It just happened that two of them happened to be home runs. And then he left the game. I, I swear one of these days, you Darvish is going to get a win and it's going to be great. <laughs> um, Just to put this in a little bit of perspective. I read this on Twitter, uh, Christopher Kamka, who is amazing with stats and I always love his stats. So thank you very much for those. Um, He said, this is the hundred and four. 104th game the Cubs have played in Denver. So 12 at mile high and 92 at course. They've allowed everywhere from one to 15 runs in a game, also seven, 17 in a game as well. But they've never in 104 games allowed zero runs. So wow. just to put that in perspective, I mean, it's, you know, and today could have been that day, which obviously we'll get to today could have been that day, but, um, Someone who needs a very stern talking to gave up that one run. So there you have it. Yeah, we're going to talk about Mr. Brock. In fact, let's just do it right now. Let's talk about game two. Game two was yikes territory. I I felt like no, well, C-Shack didn't look terrible, terrible, although he also didn't look great. But like, holy yikes. Jose Quintana went 4.2 innings. Brock went 0.2 innings. I mean, between the two of them, they gave up seven earned runs and eight runs total. It was just, oh, and C-Shuck didn't pitch. Tyler Chatwood pitched. C-Shuck is my note for today. So sorry, Steve. I did not mean to throw you into the game two debacle. Um, yeah, just yikes. Yeah. What was up with this game? It, it was brutal. It was brutal. I mean, some very untimely walks. You know, you're going to have them occasionally. I get it. But, it, I mean, it was like, man, it was just constant forehead slapping it's like you can't you Quintana you know for as much as I want to love him and as I as much as I feel like every every game up until this point was pretty solid you know you felt like he was rounding that corner this was not the one this was his bad game and you really just felt like he was a very mediocre pitcher and um you know I almost feel better about Darvish's start over Quintana's it just I it totally was, feel better about Darvish's start over Quintana's. Yeah, yeah. And, and and again, that's me being probably, you know, unrealistically hard on Darvish, but it just ugh, it was it was painful. It was tough. It was one of those things where and I'm not one of those people that I turn the game off when they're when the score is lopsided, but I was so darn close. I was so close. Yeah, I Q did not look great in this game and a lot of walks, a lot like more walks than strikeouts is never a good sign. Both he and Tyler Chatwood had more walks than strikeouts. I mean, this is one of those games that it, it it's not so much that the score gets to you because the score is the score. And like we were saying earlier, it's course field, crazy things happen. It's not uncommon for great pitchers to give up a lot of runs in Colorado, but that doesn't mean you have to walk everybody. That does not mean that you have to stop throwing strikes, right? Like, well, you're just asking for it when you do that in course field. I mean, you are literally just playing with fire and waiting for something bad to happen. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that you can barely keep the ball in the park, but then to give, you know, free bases is like, Oh geez. Yeah. Just go ahead and, and put all the runs on the board. Yeah, and, you know, credit to the Rockies bullpen here for, you know, Peter Lambert had another great outing against the Cubs. He looked a lot better. 
than Quintana in this particular outing. Although he only pitched five innings, uh, he gave up three hits and held the Cubs to one run. I, I will say that like that middle part of the Rockies bullpen is super solid. They didn't give up anything. They were very stingy. The reason that this game um, didn't look terrible, well, I guess it did look terrible. 10 to three is not a great game, but is because the ninth inning pitcher gave up a couple of runs and the Cubs evened it up a tiny bit, but uh, props to that middle part of the Rockies bullpen for holding a very good hitting Cubs team to not very many runs. Yeah, this was not the offensive showing that I was predicting. Obviously, if you listen to the previous episode, I was like, there's no way I would put a lot of money. Well, this is why I'm not a betting person because I would have lost all that money. Um <laughs> It just, yeah, it's, it's, it's so hot and cold and it's like, we just have to figure out an in-between with this offense. I mean, there's gotta be a point when, you know, we're grinding out runs rather than relying so heavily on the big home runs, the big bombs, which have been happen- happening more often than not, but there's gotta be games when they don't show up that we have to figure out how to grind out these runs and really manufacture, you know, some guys getting across the plate. Cause it just, it's, it's this, when this offense goes so quiet, it's so hard to, to fathom because we've seen it. We've seen it explode for these huge games where they just, it's just hit after hit after hit after hit. And, and to, to see it just be completely dry and nobody show up is just where everybody, this is why it's so frustrating because everybody knows what it's capable of. And, you know, you want to give credit to the pitching because yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure it has a lot to do with the pitcher too, but you're in Coors Field, man. And this offense is one of the best in baseball. You can't, I mean, you just, you can't show up and, and, or not show up, I guess, and score one run and expect to win in course field. You just can't. Totally. Although I will say that that offense that, you know, has some situational hitting, even hits with runners in scoring position, which I was really excited about, did show up for game three to back Cole Hamels, which was outstanding. Uh, the Cubs put up a 10 spot. And there were some there were some home runs. I mean, both Javi Baez, and we'll talk about his dinger in a second because I absolutely loved his bat drop at the end. It was great. Um, and Kyle Schwarber hit some nice shots, but there was some, you know, situational hitting here. Cole Hamels had a situational hit. Uh, Jason Hayward had a situational hit. And it was nice to see them get back to, you know, scoring runs, putting some runners on, scoring guys who are in scoring position and putting up some crooked numbers. Okay, and just to to talk about these bombs for a second, the Cubs have five home runs, five, of 460 feet or further by five different players. Oh, my God. Wrap your brain around that. No other team in majors has more than three. Like, that's insane to me. Five different players have 460-foot home runs or greater. That's incredible. I mean, they hit some monster shots. Um. First of all, I, I I have absolute goosebumps thinking about Javi Baez. Absolute <laughs> goosebumps. That was so, I mean, that was by far the best revenge you could have taken for your teammate. And just okay. and like and the stare down, but not only the stare down, he sets his bat down and he does a second look back. Like, I got oh, yeah. you. I got you, dude. I got you. Like this okay. this, this is my turn. So definitely going to talk about the stare down and the revenge factor for a second, because the fact that that even needs to be a thing, I'm so over beanball. But 
I have kind of an obsession with bat flips. I wrote a piece a couple months ago looking at the different ways that players can flip their bats. And that was an A plus bat drop from Javi Baez. Just like the hand transfer and the look. And he's not even like flipping the bat. He's literally just like dropping it in your face. Like he would drop a mic, right? It's like the mic drop, but with a bat that just hit a home run. Well, and the way I look at it, that is all the more powerful than an actual bat flip. Because that is the basically the symbolic way of saying, I've done this before and I'm going to do it again. Like, totally. this, is, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is nothing new to me. This is exactly what you're getting from me. Hit my my teammate again. And this is what's going to happen again. Like, that is just like, you know, he's like setting it down politely because this is what I came here to do, you know? And I've noticed that Schwarber has been doing that too. And I, yeah. think, I think it's even more powerful than an actual bat flip because oh. it's just, it's very nonchalant. It's very like, this is what we do. Oh, totally. I, I mean, my the foremost bat flipper or bat dropper on the Cubs is Wilson Contreras, in my opinion. He is very, like, into the hit the home run, watch it go, drop it. And I, I mean, as we have discussed before, Wilson is my favorite, and that move is one of my favorite of his moves. But Javi just, like, really upped it a level today with the little hand transfer and, like, the, you're not going to hit my teammate, I'm dropping the bat. Right. It was great. You know, one other thing I want to mention, because I did talk about this a little bit in the last episode, is Jason Hayward. And um, he he has a little bit of a set down bat drop, too, now these days, since he's hit 10 home runs. Thank you. Oh, so, my gosh. Yes. Double digit Jason Hayward. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It's a resurgence of Jason Hayward. And I'm driving that bus, too. So everybody go ahead and hop on because everybody wants to. Oh, Totally. 100% here for Jason Hayward to have just, I hope he keeps it up. I hope he has a better offensive second half than he has a first half. It's been awesome to see him hitting the ball hard, hitting it opposite field, hitting it full side, and really just doing some damage for his teammates with the bat. I mean, we've always known that he is a plus defender. He's always been a great teammate, but it's so nice to see him hitting the ball like he used to. I mean, and he has the most stolen bases on this team right now. Like, that's insane to me. I mean, he only has four. You know, we're not a huge base-stealing team. Right. But to have Jason Hayward have the most stolen bases, and I, I see that number going up, too. I see that number going up. I see, I don't, he's not, like, this is, I don't think this is a fluke, fluky-type first half of the season thing. I mean, I really see him having a complete season this year and I'm I'm excited for him. I mean, this man has worked hard. He's such an asset to this team on and off the field and probably people would say more off the field than on. Regardless, it doesn't matter. He's here and he's contributing and that's all you can ask for from somebody like him. And people need to to stop being Jason Hayward haters and love the fact that he is really coming back this season with a vengeance. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned Javi's bat drop as a revenge move. The reason that he needed to do that is because the Rockies and Cubs really got into a bit of a beanball battle here in game two and game three. And I hate this. I hate everything about it. I hate that people are taking risks, throwing baseballs at players. I hate that people get hurt doing it. I don't like it under any circumstances. I really don't like it when Chris Bryant is getting hit twice in the same game. I don't like it when it's retaliatory. I just, I want it to stop. 
And I know there's like old school baseball people who are like, this is the way the game is played or whatever. And I'm looking at you pirates and you're like, as far as I can tell, the pirates had a bench clearing brawl the other day because Musgrove hit uh, Josh Donaldson with a pitch and then like started jawing at him for getting hit with the pitch, which was insane to me. But like, I don't, I don't want to see somebody get hurt or miss a sizable amount of time in the baseball season because a bunch of men with baseballs had to throw them at each other. I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, it's really scary to think about what, I mean, if you look at, first of all, just looking at how many people in our lineup wear those funky helmets where they have the mouthpiece go around. I mean, people forget why they wear those helmets. Um, And, and, and just, you know, in case you're curious and you don't know, it's because they've been hit in the face. It's because a ball has gotten so close that, you know, it's done damage or scared them enough that they need, they feel like they need to protect that part of their face. I'm sorry. I've never worn a helmet like that. The fact, just putting a helmet on with that little piece, that little guard right there scares the bejesus out of me. I mean, that's scary. That's your head. I mean, that's your, your well-being. That's a bigger thing than baseball, you know? And that to me, like, that would be a mental thing for me to put that helmet on and know every single time the reason why I have that piece there is, you know, so I don't get hit in the face. Like, that's insane. That's crazy. So, totally. I mean, people forget that, how dangerous it actually is to step in the batter's box against major league pitching. Yes, they're grown men. Yes, they've been doing this for profession for a long time. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't make it any less scary. And then you watch somebody like Chris Bryant, who has, you know, a substantial injury last year after getting hit, you know, come in and get hit twice in the same game. I mean, I felt horrible for him. I'm like, you know, Joe really should have taken him out after the first time he got hit because you could just tell he was like, like mentally, he was just done. Like, come on, man. You know, that that's enough. I mean, the poor guy has been hit enough this season. And then to get hit twice in the same game, I'm like, you you guys need to stop playing around like that. That's not okay. Well, I'm pretty sure that he was hit in Colorado. The The pitch that hit him in the helmet last year was a Colorado pitch. I don't have that in the show notes and I might be misremembering that, but I, I that is what I remember. That I, I could, I for some reason, my mind says it was Herman Marquez who threw it. Um, but that was such a scary moment, regardless of who threw the pitch, where, you know, his batting helmet basically flipped around because he got hit in the head with a fastball. And I, all of us were just, you know, praying that Chris Bryant would be okay. And look, players crowd the plate a little bit. They get hit. Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo are always among the league leaders and getting hit by pitches, but don't throw at people's heads. Don't throw at people intentionally. And for the love of God, like don't get involved in a tit for tat where you're throwing baseballs at other players and threatening their livelihood. I just think, I think it's poor form and it shouldn't happen. Yeah. And, and, and like, you know, I can hear a collective ground when we talk about this subject, because I know, you know, it, it's kind of along the same lines as all the, you know, keyboard cowboys that think they're so tough and are going to catch a line drive hit at them. It's, it's, it's not that, it's not that simple guys. It's not that simple. These guys do it for a profession and it's dangerous. They wouldn't take the precautions that they take if it weren't, you know, a serious threat. And it's, it is scary. It's scary to watch. It's, it's frankly, it's quite ridiculous to go back and forth like they did, but you know what, if you're going to do it, there is kind of unwritten rules on how to do it. 
and like buzzing people's head is is one of those rules that you just don't do. Like that's something that really gets teams fired up. You know, taking a plunk in the in the side or in the you know in the butt or in the thigh, whatever else. That's you know while it still hurts, it's a little bit more harmless than going up above the shoulders. So like Anthony Rizzo, who's been hit a, a zillion times and and just last week. Um, you know, he, he's very familiar with how this works. He knows, you know, and so you see him react differently when he gets hit. Whereas somebody like Chris Bryant, it's like, God, I just feel so bad for him. I mean, he's been through so much with getting hit last year and having that, having an injury from getting hit. You just know that there is a mental space there that you don't want him to go back to. You know, we just finally got this Chris Bryant. I don't want to go back to the one last year that really struggled after he went through that injury. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, I'm sure we will hear from the people who say that's just the way the game is played on Twitter, but that's that's okay. That's what the Twitter is for. And if you don't follow us yet at, at Cup of Cubby Blue, you should follow us and let us know what you think. Um, we're going to take a break. And after the break, we're going to talk a bit about the Cubs-Dodgers series that kicks off in L.A. on Thursday. And we are back. Andy, what are you looking for with this Cubs-Dodgers series? Well, my goodness, this is, and I said this the last episode, but this is definitely going to be a, a hearty taste of playoff baseball in June. And I mean, again, I've heard people talking about this. I'm not completely off base here. Like this is, this is real. You know, this is kind of where you gauge yourself among among um, playoff teams. So, you know, it's going to be a nice test. It's going to be something that I think we need to definitely show up for. Every aspect of our game needs to show up for. Um, I'm excited to see how our pitching does against their lineup. Um, It'll be, it'll be a nice test and it'll feel like playoff baseball. And I'm, I'm a little nervous but I, I feel good about it. I have I have a, a pretty good feeling about it. So we'll see how it all goes. Um, they are definitely one of the best right now. And if we want to call ourselves that, then we need to we need to show up big time. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We're going to get more into it in a second. But since you brought up pitching, I just want to say that you know uh, when I was looking at this earlier, the Cubs didn't have a lot of their probable pitchers listed yet, and frankly, neither did the Dodgers. And it was a lot of TBD, TBD. Um, but it looks like some of that has been updated, at least on the Cubs side, Thursday night. And this is a late start because obviously time zones and it's a West Coast game. The 9-10 game uh, Central Time, we'll see John Lester face off against Clayton Kershaw. And that is just a battle of lefty titans of baseball. Uh, it looks like Friday and Saturday and Sunday, the Dodgers do not have their starters listed yet. But the Cubs will be going with Kyle Hendricks. You Darvish and Jose Quintana in that order. Um, and so that's pretty much the standard rotation for the Cubs. It will be interesting to see what the Dodgers counter with. What are you thinking about with this Lester Kershaw matchup? Wow. I mean, if this isn't one for the ages, this I think is going to be a really good matchup. And if the John Lester that we've seen his past couple starts shows up, this team has a very good chance of pulling out a solid victory. We might see some old school one to nothing or two to one baseball. Um, And I say old school because that's not really what you see anymore. But back in the days when I was growing up, that's all it was. Um, 
Now, of course, we know this year that the ball is juiced, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but Kershaw, I think, um, I kind of feel like the Chicago Cubs might be Clayton Kershaw's kryptonite. He's had some good games against totally us, but great. we we have we've we've actually fared really well against him. And um, you know, we are not we're not intimidated by this guy. And we go up there and aggressive in the pitch counts and you know, and right out of the gate. We've we've seemed to get hits off of him. So if we can do that again, um, I see us having a really good chance of at least splitting this series, which I think at this point everyone can agree with the state of our bullpen and kind of how hot cold our offense was this week. That would be a win. Yeah, I agree. Taking two out of uh two out of four here would be outstanding. The and and I also agree with you that the Cubs have been really good against Clayton Kershaw. I mean, we haven't seen a ton of him outside of the postseason, but a couple of the Cubs batters have had a lot of success against him. I mean, who can forget that absolute gem in 2016 to send the Cubs to the World Series that Kyle Hendricks threw where the Cubs just really got to Clayton Kershaw. He has not been Clayton Kershaw of 2014. Um, well, since about 2014, he's dealt with some back issues. He's dealt with some time on the injury list. He doesn't strike out guys as much as he used to. He is still a very good pitcher. He's obviously going to find ways to get guys out. He obviously knows how to win and is a tremendous competitor. So they should not sleep on Clayton Kershaw just because he hasn't been the same caliber of pitcher that he was a few years ago. But this will be an interesting matchup for sure. Yeah, I am. Totally looking forward to it. And I think no better person than to kick off this series than John Lester. I mean, he's been an absolute beast. And I I feel good about him going up against Kershaw. And I think you're going to see the best John Lester that we've seen yet. And that's saying a lot considering the past couple starts that we've seen him. So it's a question of whether or not which offense shows up. Is it going to be the offense that scratches that one run and um, – you know, the defense that kind of falls asleep here and there and maybe allows a couple more errors or hits than they should. That's going to be the question. Dodgers offense is Dodgers offense. I mean, they are, they're no joke. There's, there's nothing, you know, chintzy about their lineup at all. I mean, maybe Kershaw. (laughs) Right. Totally. But, but that, I mean, it's, it's crazy to me how good they've been. Yeah, so one of the things I want to talk about, and one of the players that the Cubs will not be seeing who has been outstanding offensively for the Dodgers as of late is Corey Seager, who has a hamstring injury. And I don't know that I've seen a definitive timetable, but it sounds like he's out potentially four to six weeks. Um, Over the last two weeks, Corey Seager has been out of his mind. He has been slashing 438, 481, 813. That is not his OPS. That is his slugging. Um, he has been really on fire and it's unfortunate that he will not be, he's injured and he will not be playing in the series. So it'll be interesting to see what bat they put in the lineup instead of Corey Seager, although they have a deep bench, so it's not like that's going to hinder them too much. Yeah. And, um, you know, I watched these guys play a series early in the season against the Cardinals and, you know what? They kind of have an offense like ours where it's one day is fantastic. And the next day is kind of, um, you know, leaves a lot to be desired early on. They did, I I should say Um, now, not to say that good pitching wouldn't slow them down a little bit because good pitching slows down any offense. You know, if John Lester is working, 
that's going to take people down a notch. I mean, we have Hendricks going in game two. You know, we've seen what he's done this season. And do we expect anything less from him against this team? I, I think not. You know, my my curiosity is going to be with Darvish and Quintana. Um, and, you know, we can talk about the Dodgers offense all we want. But, again, if these guys can come out and throw – solid outings, one or two run ball, you know, every time they give our offense the opportunity to win games. And, you know, our bullpen is not the greatest right now. We're still waiting on, you know, our big shiny toy. So if our pitchers can go deep into games and we can, you know, do play the matchup game, you know, we, like I said, we are really, we're going to come out of this series, hopefully, you know, with some good momentum and feeling like this is a team we can definitely beat in October. Yeah, I cannot wait for that big, shiny, red-bearded toy to show up in the Cubs bullpen. <laughs> um, and hopefully, you know, I we didn't mention this when we were talking about the Rockies, but hopefully C-Sheck is okay, too. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but he took a ball off the inside of the knee during, I think they were just throwing in the outfield. I really don't think he was even doing a bullpen or anything like that. Uh, Kinsler threw a ball that hit him on the inside of the knee, and he got carted off the field at Coors because, of course, he did. It was just one of those series um, but it sounds like it's a bruise, nothing is broken, and hopefully he will be available out of the bullpen as well because he's been quietly one of the most effective weapons that Joe Madden has had out there. Um, I love C-Shack. He's been um, very, very solid for us and, and uh, you know, an arm that we greatly rely on this season thus far. But I'm not going to lie, as long as this wasn't serious and before I thought this, I, I wanted to make sure it wasn't serious, and it's not by all accounts, but I, this is actually a relief to me. This guy needs to slow down a little bit. We've used him quite a bit. And, you know, if we don't want him to pick up his arm off the ground by the end of the season, we need to really pace how we're using him in situations. And I think obviously with, you know, Kimbrell coming in, that's going to help quite a bit, but I just, I feel like, you know, we've relied on him heavily and, you know, we want to be careful of the overusage of arms because, you know, we need to to model this bullpen in a, in a way that's going to take us deep into the season. If we keep using him the way we are, that's not going to happen with this one. So I think it's going to be a good couple of days off for him and he comes back and, and, you know, just has been, will pitch like he has been. Yeah, the other player to keep an eye on in this series, if you have not been following, um, the Dodgers are one of my West Coast teams, so I watch them quite a bit late at night. Uh, Cody Bellinger is having a ridiculous season. He currently has an F war of 4.5. And to put this in perspective, to have an F war of 4.5, 65 games into the season, um, that's the same number that Mike Trout currently has put up. So Cody Bellinger is really just having a ridiculous 2019 He's been cooled off a tiny bit the last couple of weeks. I highly, I have no idea if that's going to stick. Keep your eye on Cody Bellinger. If the Cubs can contain him, that would be great news for them. I mean, this slash line, and this is a season slash line, by the way. This is not like my little, like, oh, the last two weeks type of thing. His season slash line is 352, 445, 678. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Right? I mean, wow. I, you know, this, this guy makes me want to say Christian Yelich too. Totally. It makes me want to say Christian Yelich too, too. Although I will say their slash lines are eerily similar here and Yelich's uh, WRC plus is slightly better. You know, listen, 
I'm not a yellow hater by any means. I'm not a fan. I'm not a hater. I happen to love Cody Ballinger. I think he is such a talented young bright spot for this game. I don't like that he doesn't wear a uniform, but obviously, you know, not all the good guys can. He is <laughs> he, he's such I mean, he's so fun to watch too. And I did not they have him listed as 6-4. And I kind of was standing up not next to him but near him. He does not look like he's 6-4. He I mean, he's 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 a big guy. He's, he's kind of skinny. He's a tall guy, I should say. He does not look 6-4. But he's kind of skinny, but I tell you what, this kid can hit and he can play. He is he's got a glove on him too. I, I like this kid and he's he's going to be, you know, the bright spot of this team for a while to come and we just uh, he's just one of those that we're going to have to figure out how to contain. Contain, I mean, is what you can hope to do that he can, you know, do his damage and then nobody else is doing damage and you can sort of get through the rest of the lineup. Um, another guy that might be hard to contain who's been red hot lately is Max Muncy, Max Muncy and he's slashing 326, 418, 717 in the last two, uh, two weeks going into this series. So hopefully the Cubs can contain Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger and actually take a couple of games out of the series. Um, this guy just mashed a home run today. I think it was today. Um, or maybe it was last night. I don't know, but I saw the video replay of it and didn't he, am I wrong here? Didn't he win the, um, the home run derby a year or so ago, two years ago? Uh, he, I don't think he he won it, but he was in it and he had a really good, he went pretty deep in the home run derby. He had a really good showing. And, you know, Max Muncy is a great story because he wasn't really on anybody's radar. And then he just kind of came up out of nowhere mashing home runs and it's been somewhat sustainable, which is you love that when that happens to a player later in their career, when they, it sort of looks like they're not going to have, they're not going to have it. And then all of a sudden there they are. A hundred percent. And I think I first heard of this guy in the home run derby and I kind of kept my eye on him because, you know, you just, you don't hear when you don't hear of a player and then all of a sudden they show up in the home run derby, you kind of feel like they might be worth noting. So I've kind of kept my eye on this guy. And yeah, he definitely is another one that if he gets hot, I would prefer it be on Monday, that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Like Max Muncy, can you cool down a little bit and you can keep doing crazy Max Muncy things after the Cubs leave town. That would be, that would be really outstanding. Um, The one note there, just so because we didn't mention it, the Sunday game is once again, a Sunday night baseball ESPN special. So we will update the ESPN Sunday night bingo game for Cubs Dodgers this time. I I still haven't actually gotten a bingo. There's been a couple of places that were close, like within one square, but the bingo has been elusive. (laughs) Can I, can I change the subject for a minute? Because I need to tell you something. Okay. So I know we talked about this a little bit um, on our last episode and I'm totally springing this on Sarah. So I apologize everybody, but I just heard a rumor not too long ago, like maybe within the last hour, that there was going to be a video message played in the arena where the Bruins play from David Ortiz tonight. <gasps> yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm totally, oh my I know, I'm totally springing this on her. So you're getting the raw reaction right now. But yes, I did. I did hear this. I'm not kidding. I have been... I'm not even going to lie, like on and off verge of tears for the last 
few days over this whole Ortiz thing. And I'm just, it's so senseless and it's so terrible. And I'm so glad he's okay. And I'm glad he's in Boston. The police escort made me practically break down when they were taking him to Mass Gen from the Red Sox plane. And I just, I've been, you know, I've been thinking for days now, oh, the Bruins are going to win this for Ortiz. And I know that's not how sports works. Like, I would love sports to work that way. That's how the movies work. But that's not necessarily how sports always works. But it just feels like he's done so much for the city of Boston. Win a championship for Poppy. And I just, oh, my God, I can't even right now. I I hope he's well <laughs> enough. And I hope that is true. And I just, I'm literally crying on my couch. I, I, I don't know if that's I know. I, Listen, and I, I apologize because I should not have sprung this on her. And I would be, I would be the same way if it were um, somebody that I thought so highly of. I mean, I think very highly of David Ortiz. He's not one of my, I mean, he, he's a, a favorite. He's a fan favorite, obviously, but he is obviously very close, near and dear to Sarah's heart. So when we say, like, I make the mention, I'm giving Sarah a minute to compose herself. Um, when we mention that we fall in love with players and we have this love affair with certain players in our team and in our lives and everything else. And it's really funny to people because they don't understand how, wh- how or why you can get so emotionally attached to people. This is what I mean. This is, this is like raw emotion you're getting from Sarah when I just told her that. And it's not even, you know what I mean? Like, it's not even like it's her best friend or anything like that. It's somebody that she very much looks up to and appreciates. And I would be in a very similar situation if it was somebody the other way around. So just appreciate how much we love this sport and how much we love the people that play it because that that's actually how we feel. So <laughs> there you have it. 100%. I I don't have anything else left to say. I think that's a perfect. <laughs> Andy, I, take us out. Take us out today. I can't. I can't. I'm crying. Well, you're, just you're... so just so you guys know, I just did a little off air curtsy. So, like when I said it, that was my curtsy, and I kind of like mic dropped right there. So, um, thank you all for tuning in. You'll catch us in the next round here after the game on Sunday night. Hopefully, Monday afternoon at some point. Um, we will hopefully have good things to say after this series and you know for sarah's sake i will say go bruins i have not yet said go blues but for the people i love in st louis go blues so either way somebody is going to win this game tonight and i just i hope everyone appreciates how exciting it will be and let's see some good baseball this weekend we will talk to you soon have a good weekend guys